Turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, please. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of God. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. First chapter has three main points. The first point is John's personal experience. John was one of the inner circle, son of Zebedee, the brother of James, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was with Jesus at the transformation, at the cross, he wrote five books. Two of the early church fathers were his disciples. Ignatius, lived from 35 to 107, and Polycarp, from 69 to 155. When you read about those early church fathers and recognize as you read them, you're reading somebody that knew one of the disciples who knew Jesus face to face, it means something. So what we read in this first chapter is a realization that John knew Jesus by personal experience. He was there. I've told you about Jesus because somebody else told me about Jesus. Somebody else told them about Jesus. And down through 2,000 years, we heard about the Lord. We're reading this morning of somebody who knew Jesus personally, saw him. And you and I can know him just as personally when we receive him into our hearts. So John had a personal experience Notice, he calls Jesus that eternal life. Jesus himself is eternal life. He doesn't want to give eternal life. He is eternal life. So when you receive him, you receive eternal life. It's like some time ago, one of our Gideons was here, gave me this little book called the New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs. They gave it to me, it's mine. I give it to you in the Word. Now, when you receive Jesus, you receive eternal life. How long is eternal life? Until you sin again? Until you disappoint God? No, 
Eternal life is eternal life. It's forever. And John says, I'm going to show you about eternal life. Secondly, the purpose of this epistle, look at verses 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. There are three reasons he's writing this. Please mark them. Notice them in your Bible. Verse 3. That which we've seen and heard declare unto you, first of all, that you have fellowship with us. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. When we have fellowship with Jesus, we have fellowship with one another. That's the reason when we come to church. We experience love. We look at each other, we experience love. Miss you read Bladley, we remember Miss J.C. Ragland years and years ago. Miss Ragland used to come to church. She was 95 when she went to heaven. And when the church was over, she'd come down here and say, this is like heaven. I'm looking forward to heaven. It's going to be like Glendale. Well, we enjoy each other's fellowship. We enjoy the heavenly fellowship. Then secondly, he says, our fellowship is with his Father, Jesus Christ. So we have fellowship with each other, a fellowship with him. The great hymns written with theology and biblical truth. That's the reason for that song. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. There's a third reason, look at verse four. These things write me unto you, that your joy may be full. God wants us to have joy. Many times, we go around looking like we've been baptized in lemon juice. We have joy, wonderful joy, full of joy. Joy is spelled J-O-Y. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Joy. Now the third part of this passage is a powerful exposition. Again, three things. Number one, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, God is light, in him is no darkness. God is light. That's the reason God's people need to walk in the light. Now, 
Nothing wrong with taking a night, night stroll, but don't, the night, don't let the night crowd you out. We walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. He is the light. Always walk in the light of lights. Don't allow sin to crowd out the light. Look in verse 6. The second powerful exposition. If we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. What it says is, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, you can say one thing and do another. Try your best to pay attention. Put your phones away. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So God's people need to walk in the light of Christ, walking with him day by day by day, serving him, speaking to one another in his love, in his walk. Word of verse 7. If we walk in the light as he in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from a few sins. So it says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If you're saved, you know it, say amen. Do you know that when you give your heart to Jesus, you're cleansed from all sin? Those in this auditorium today who have been saved have been cleansed from sin. You may be a sinner, but you're a sinner saved by grace. Christ lives inside of you. Now, the best thing is yet, we're in verse 3, verse 8 rather. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth not in us. Now, some people who say they live above sin, they never sin. They're sinlessly perfect. Well, they're deceiving themselves. If you say you don't have any sin, you're not deceiving anybody else, it's just you. Everybody else knows you're a sinner. But then the climax, this whole section, in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness as we confess our sins. <coughs> Who do you confess your sins to? To whom do you confess your sins? Number one, to yourself. Many times we act as if we have not sinned. Not until we recognize in ourselves that we sin can we go to God about it. Secondly, we go to God, ask Him to forgive us. And thirdly, we go to the one we've sinned against and go to that person, ask that person to forgive us. Confession involves three distinct truths. Confess to ourselves, confess to God, confess to the one we've wronged. And when we do that, God forgives us. <clears throat> I've told you this before. I was in a revival meeting in Alabama many years ago. Went through the whole first part of the meeting, no decision, nobody did anything. Gave an invitation every night, nobody saved, nobody came. Finally, on the last night of the revival, there was almost a holy hush. I saw a man get up from back here come down here, say something to the preacher. And he left, went over here and got another man, pulled him out, brought him down to the aisle, they knelt at the altar. The invitation was over. The pastor said, I want this man to tell us what he did. He said, I have not spoken to that man for five years. God spoke to my heart. I won't ask him to forgive me. We came down here and prayed. We prayed together. We've forgiven each other. You know what happened that night? Five other people got saved because somebody else got right with God. Let the Holy Spirit come and take control and send a great revival in our soul. Let's pray. Friend, if you're here tonight, you've never been saved. I urge you, come to Christ just as you are. Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone in this place. We pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to hearts. Someone will come to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Now stand, please, on the page. Page 154, Jesus is calling. Jesus is tenderly calling today, calling you home. Now listen, if you've never been saved, come to Christ this morning. Walk down this aisle, tell them to give my heart to Jesus. While we sing, will you come?